0: chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, hey, man, it takes a lot of oxygen to do that. I don't know how those fat guys did that. Somebody skinny like me can't hardly get it out. Hey, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and <coughs> going through verse 11. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. Luke writing, said, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, whom also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to touch us tonight, God, as we speak about the glorious ascension of your Son to his throne. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's wonderful to experience the opportunity of a lifetime. Have you ever been somewhere, done something, experienced experienced something that you knew in that moment? This is the chance of a lifetime. I'll never get to do this again. It's even greater when you have had those moments and then you get the opportunity to experience the chance of a lifetime one more time. And I have been so blessed. Uh, Many of you know uh, that my dad retired uh, when he was 50 years old and he wanted to travel. And so I was uh, in my early 20s. I was an evangelist. I was able to adjust my schedule. And we went over about a year and a half period. We went on three month long uh, vacations. Went to the southwest, went to the northeast, and then went. Uh, to the Northwest by that third trip Crystal was with us uh, and uh, and we, we we had just married and she went after after being married just for about three months went on a month-long trip with her in-laws and uh, after much therapy we got over that and uh, got worked through that she had a good time with the in-laws it was her new husband that she didn't have have all that great a lot great time with but but uh, and then back in 2004 so I, I made it into 49 of the 50 states. Now, the only state I hadn't been in is to Hawaii and, and I'm coming up if you will bear with me through September, I will have been your pastor 10 years and I think that'd be a good 10-year gift from you to send me to Hawaii. <laughs> no, I just I just play. I know what you're thinking Cynthia Cynthia's whispering she said, if it's a one-way ticket we'll send him I knew that that's exactly what you said, but but God is listening to you, Cynthia. No, I kid about that, but it it, it really is. The only state in Union I haven't been to. I've been able to be just uh, up a little bit into Canada a couple of times, and and uh, just right across the border uh, into Juarez, uh, Mexico. And and uh, I hope there's more to it than Juarez. I'll tell you that because that's pretty rough there. But but. Uh, but in 2004, I was able to go. Mom and, Mom and Dad went. It was a special trip for us. I went with, with some folks from, from uh, Waldrop Avenue. We went to the Holy Land. And, uh, and one of the things that's special about that is that in December 2003, my mother was right toward the end of her uh, chemo and was so emaciated that she sat there no eyelashes, no eyebrows, wearing a loose-fitting wig, pale. Uh, and as we said, we were not able to celebrate Christmas together as a family. But me and my two brothers went out and spent about an hour with her. And as she sat there, uh, blood started trickling down from her nose because of the platelet count was so low. That was December 2003. December 2004, Mom and Dad were able to go on that trip to the Holy Land. And we had trouble keeping up with her. Uh, she was, she was uh, so spry, and uh, but I always wanted. You know how it is when you uh, love your spouse. I don't like to experience anything. It, it's not, it's not as fulfilling to me if Crystal can't fulfill it, if she's not there, she can't enjoy it. And I've always wanted her to have that opportunity. And Crystal kind of feels that way, except she feels that way about the kids. If, if I don't want to do it if the kids can't do it. So Crystal and, and, and I and the kids, and I was so glad they got to, went to, uh, went to Israel, I think in 2014. And uh, got, I got to enjoy the chance of a lifetime the second time around. Katie would load up on a plane tonight to go back to Israel. She, she loved it over there, and, and Cameron enjoyed it as well. One of the things that I love when we go to Israel is to go up to the top of the Mount of Olives. Because when you get to the top of, top of the Mount of Olives, you can look across and down a little bit across the Kidron Valley and, and the Temple Mount and the city of Jerusalem comes into just panoramic view. And it, it is a beautiful city and a beautiful sight to behold. And uh, as, you, as you look there, one of the places on the very top of the Mount of Olives, there's a, there's a little small chapel there that's called the Church of the Ascension. And inside that chapel, there is a, a little uh, place in the stone of that mountain that is kind of sectioned off. And in that, in that place, there, there is an indention in uh, the stone that kind of resembles a human footprint and they they say that that was the footprint of the Lord Jesus as he ascended from the Mount of Olives to go and be with his father now uh, I'm a little bit skeptical about that I I, uh, uh, being a good Protestant I don't get caught up in in icons and 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 uh, get caught up in uh, uh, you know, places and venerate places and that kind of thing. But as we were there this last time, I was overwhelmed by the emotion of many people as they got to that place. They would stand in line and crowd around this hole in the ground and reach their hands through to touch that place. Weeping and tears, many of them, uh, you would have... People from islands around the world that would gather there. Mostly of the Catholic faith, they really venerate those kinds of things in that place, but they'd, with trembling lips, they'd reach down and kiss that spot in the ground. And it's easy as a good Protestant to say, you know, we don't worship a hole in the ground. (laughs) But the emotion of I don't know that that, and I'm pretty sure that's not his footprint. But it's the right mountain, it's the right spot, it's the right place. We know that from the Bible, that it was in that spot, it was in that place that Jesus ascended back to his Father. And how those people crowded in and were overwhelmed at the thought that Jesus had stood there. Well, I'm not telling you that you need to take a pilgrimage to Israel, although I think everybody that gets the chance to go should go. It is a spiritual experience and it is a blessing and it will bring the Bible to life for you. But I'm not saying that you need to pay thousands of dollars and travel thousands of miles and spend... 13 hours on a plane going and 15 hours on a plane or 15 hours going and 18 hours on a plane coming back because you're going against the jet winds and it takes you longer to get back. I'm not saying you need to do all of that to be at that spot. I am saying that somehow, some way, we need to take a trip in our minds and understand and honor the fact that the Jesus that died on Calvary, Did not stay buried in a borrowed tomb. Did not stay behind a Roman seal. Was not prevented by a Roman guard. But on the third day he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that 40 days after his resurrection, he was ascended into glory to sit at his Father's right hand. And that ought to make us happy and joyous to know that Jesus has entered in to his rest. His going is important to us, number one, because his going reminds us that he was who he said he was. The fact that he was caught up in a cloud and ascended into the heavens to sit at the Father's right hand means that <clears throat> the Father affirmed who He was. You know, there are people, and this is these are so silly, the theories are so silly that, that they've, they've gone out of favor with, with uh, skeptics and critics. But a couple of hundred years ago, there were people that put forth and posited the idea that Jesus didn't rise from the dead because He didn't really die. He was just on the cross. He just kind of swooned, just kind of passed out which is, is hard to do when you've had a, you know, a spear thrust through your heart. <laughs> and they put him in that tomb, and when he got into the tomb, the cold air of the tomb kind of revived him, and he got up and got out of the tomb. Now let's see, he's been crucified, he's been hanging on the cross for six hours. He's been beat within an inch of his life. He's had to pull himself up by the nails in his hands, push himself up off of the nails in his feet to catch each breath. He did all of that and then they stuck a spear through his heart. And after that he revived in the coolness of the tomb and had enough strength to roll a several ton stone away from the door and overpower four Roman guards to get out of there. But for anybody that may have criticized or anybody that may have uh, doubted if he rose from the dead when he ascended up into heaven supernaturally to his father going to get his prize to set at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, here's what Psalm 68, 18 says. You went up to your high place leading a parade of captives. You received gifts from people, even those who turned against you. The Lord God went up there to live. Aren't you glad to know that Jesus is at the right hand of God And he is rewarded for his suffering. That's the thing that people need to understand. Jesus did not die as a martyr. Jesus died as a sacrifice and as a substitute. And he died willingly. He said, I have the power to lay my life down. And I have the power to take it again. But the story of Jesus does not end with a bloody Roman cross. The story of Jesus does not end with a borrowed tomb. But Jesus was lifted up. In fact, Paul said in Philippians that because he was not mindful for his equality with God to be grasped and held on to, they call this the Christ hymn. They believe it was a hymn that the early church sang that said that Jesus Did not hold on to his equality. He thought it not robbery, the King James says, to be equal with God. But he took upon himself the form of a servant and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's his humiliation. But listen, that is glorification. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it needs to be a reminder of you that serving God, we don't serve God for naught. We don't serve God in vain. But as low as it may get, as dark as it may get, whatever tribulation and persecution we might go through, whatever heartaches and storms and problems that we endure, listen, it ain't over yet. They used to say it's not over till the fat lady sings. They got that from the opera because at the, uh, at the crescendo of the opera, the big soprano would, soprano would come out, And sang, and they they usually were robust women, and so it wasn't over. The opera wasn't over till the fast lady sung. I'm gonna tell you, it ain't over till the trumpet sounds. Don't you judge God or his faithfulness. Don't you judge your reward based on what you see and feel now. It's not over. Jesus didn't give up when he was on the cross. He didn't give up when he was spat upon. He didn't give up when the beard was plucked from his face. He didn't give up when they cast a, a, a accusations and blasphemies into his face. They, he kept on going. And the Bible says the reason he did that is he endured the scroll, cross despising the shame. But he did it for the joy that was set. Before him. I guess that there maybe was a time in the Christian experience that this may have been true for some, that there might have been some Christian somewhere that was so heavenly-minded, that he was no earthly good. I know that became a popular saying, and we said that so much that we made people scared to talk about heaven. Ashamed to sing about heaven, frightened to preach about heaven. We made heaven a bad word just like holiness in God's own church. They said, Well, there there are some of those people wanting to escape. You're mighty right. If you think I want to escape this land, you're mighty right. If you think I want to escape the earth, you're mighty right. If you think I want to escape the tribulation, you're right. If you think I want to escape the wrath of God, you're mighty right. I want to get out of here and I want to get out of here on the first thing running. Absolutely. This world's not my home. And some way or another, we we convinced ourselves that we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. But I'm gonna tell you what we got now. We got a bunch of Christians that are so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good. And I say we need to get back to singing about heaven and preaching about heaven and talking about heaven because if there's no heaven, then it's all for naught and it's all in vain. Paul said, if in this life we have hope in Christ, I'm of all men most miserable. But can I tell you, it ain't over till the trumpet sounds. And we will sit with Jesus in heavenly places and rule the world with him when this life is over. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Not only did he ascend to the right hand of God as his reward, but he ascended, thank God, to the right hand of his Father as our high priest. Hebrews 7.24, but he, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? The high priest would go in once a year. He would have on the vestments and the robes and the breastplate. He would have, we're told, around the bottom of his garment, there would be a, a rendering uh, like a pomegranate, but then there would be a little bale, and then another little pomegranate and a bale. And we're told that they would tie a rope around his waist so that when he went in, not by his own righteousness, but by the blood of the red heifer that had been sacrificed. He went in by the blood, but when he'd go in just in case they would tie that rope around him just in case in the presence of God he was struck down just in case the blood didn't work. And we're told throughout the annals of the, of the tabernacle and the temple service there was never one time that they ever had to pull a high priest out by the rope. It didn't mean they always had good high priests. It didn't mean they always had righteous high priests. It didn't mean that that high priest always was of high moral character. It meant that when God said the blood is enough, the blood was enough. But we don't have that. Next year, they had to do it again. And that high priest had to go in with the blood, not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sin. And the blood of bulls and goats and lamb could never wash the conscience clean of those worshipers. It was a temporary covering of sin. But Jesus has not entered in to a temple made with hands. He didn't enter into the Holy of Holies. That by the way, when he died, an earthquake split Running all the way from Calvary to the Temple Mount, and like a hand, an unseen pair of hands tore from top to bottom that thick veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And they looked in and found out it had all been a sham. Found out that the that the Ark of the Covenant had been lost. It wasn't even in there anymore. He didn't enter into that Holy of Holies up on the Temple Mount. He entered in, that was just a pattern, a model of the truth, the Bible says. He entered into the holy of holies in heaven. He entered into the throne room of God. But he did not enter in with the blood of bulls, bulls and goats and lambs. He entered in with his own blood. And he didn't have to go to show his blood to the Father to get forgiveness of his sins because he didn't have any. But he entered in. He's the only one worthy enough to do that. But he entered into the Holy of Holies way up in heaven and showed his blood for us. When Jesus prays for you. You know, there's some very fine people that in their heart of hearts, they love God, they love Jesus, and they want to do what's right. But they've been taught for a child, pray to Mother Mary and Mary will pray for you. Pray to St. Christopher and St. Christopher will pray for you. Pray to this one and to that one and they'll pray for you. I'm so glad to know. I listen when I have a need. I call mom and dad. I call Nana Peavy. I I say it. I call in the big guns to pray for me. And as wonderful it is, and I have confidence in their prayers, I'm going to tell you there's one better than Mama praying for me. There's one better than Daddy praying for me. There's one better than Nana praying for me. There's one better than Mary. There's one better than Saint Christopher. There's one better than any saint that's ever lived. I want you to know, way up at the right hand of throne of God. There is Jesus Christ who's making intercession for us with his own blood. I was in a meeting several years ago and there was a man up speaking. And I didn't even know that he knew me. I had maybe perhaps met him briefly once before. I don't even really ever remember meeting. him. But as he was up talking, he pointed me out and he said, you know, me and another man were praying the other night, and your name came up in prayer. Oh, I'm going to tell you when somebody really means it. And at just at lunch today, at lunch we were, we were said we were celebrating somebody's birthday, and some of us at the church were there, uh, were there celebrating, and and uh, Chris Locklear said, "I pray for my pastor." And Sister Mary Lou spoke up and said, I pray for my pastor every day. You don't know what it means to hear somebody say, I've prayed for you. Well, doesn't that, just, doesn't that move you when somebody says to you in sincerity, I was praying for you? And you know they did. You know they meant it. But oh, and I can never think of this scripture without it moving me. When Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but don't worry. I have prayed for you. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. You know what makes me happy about that? It's not that he just, that he prayed for Peter. Way up at the right hand of the Majesty on high, I have a right hand man. I used to think, Billy, that when Jesus—I don't know that I'd ever get it thought—but I just it was kind of this feeling, this assumption, that when Jesus, who before he was Jesus, you know, he wasn't called Jesus till he was born, and Mary in obedience to the angel Mary and Joseph gave him the name Jesus. He was the Word. And the Word became flesh. And I thought when the Word became flesh, I thought, okay, he came as a baby. He lived as a child and a teenager. He became a man. He died as a man. And then that kind of a, dress up, that kind of costume of manhood that he wore, then that that was over. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that right now, at the right hand of God, there is a resurrected man. Jesus is at the right hand of God as one of us. He is a resurrected man at the right hand of God. We have an inside man. We have a right hand man. We don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who was tempted in all ways as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And Jesus is praying for you and praying for me. Anybody ever prayed and felt like that, that the heavens were brass? Several years ago, I started off a message on, on what's in a name. And my timing was kind of off that day. I was talking about the the meaning of names in Scripture and the name of of Jesus and what his name meant. But I started off talking about, I said, there was a man whose name was George Apple. A-P-P-E-L, George Apple. And he was executed in the electric chair. And his last words were, you're about to have a baked apple. And when I said that, It got about as far as the front step there and just died. It just laid there and died. Crickets. Nobody laughed. Nobody got it. Kind of like tonight. Nobody laughed. Nobody got it. Just crickets. That's the way I feel like my prayers do sometimes. They just kind of dribble out there and just kind of. I know y'all got such faith, such power. Y'all feel like that the heavens just split every time you say amen. But some of the rest of us that have shoulder blades instead of angels' wings, sometimes our prayers just feel like they just kind of tumble out there. You ever felt that way? But thank God I'm telling you that there is one up in heaven. That's looking down on me and looking out for me. And he's praying the Father. And why should I worry and why should I dread? Because I'm going to tell you, Jesus has never had a prayer that didn't get through. He never had a prayer that just kind of laid there and died. He never had a prayer fizzle on him. Every prayer that he ever prayed and he's He is praying and interceding with His own blood. How many knows He is there to make intercession for us. Therefore, He's able to save us to the uttermost. And He is at the right hand of God to wait. He's waiting at the right hand of God till every foe is vanquished. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Can I tell you, with the glory that he has now with his father, there's more glory coming. One of these days, all of his foes are going to be vanquished. And the good news is, is his enemies are my enemies. All of our enemies. One of these days, is not going to be any more cancer. Not going to be any more heart disease, no more lung disease. In fact, the Bible says that the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death itself. And one of these days, the song that we're going to sing is old slew the dragon, the serpent, the devil. We're going to sing the accuser of the brethren is cast down. The accuser of the brethren is cast down and the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. He's setting at the right hand till his enemy his enemies are made his footstool. That's his going. Now listen, there's his gift. Why does this matter to us? It's his gift. Ephesians four and eight, therefore he says, when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Acts 1, 4, and 5, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a great Norwegian explorer by the name of Raoul Amundsen. Amundsen was the first one to do, discovered the magnetic meridian of the North Pole. And on one of his trips, when he got to where he was going, he took out a homing pigeon and attached a message to its little leg and set it free. And it flew all of those thousands of miles back to Norway. His wife would open up the windows every day To see if she got a message, a winged message from her husband. And when she saw that that pigeon light and she read that message, she knew that her husband had made it and that he was safe and that he was alive. I'm going to tell you that we know that Jesus made it safely to the right hand of God. Because he said, if I go... I'm going to send back to you (laughs) on the wings of a snow white dove. (laughs) He sends his pure sweet love a sign from above on the wings of a dove. He sent the Holy Spirit. This is what he said in John 16 verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me where you're going because I've said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I know that Jesus made it because he sent back the Holy Ghost of God. You know, some people don't think the Holy Ghost is very important. They don't think the baptism of the Holy Ghost is very important. They don't think the working of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Ghost are all that important. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus got the glory, the first thing he asked for us was, Father, send them the Holy Spirit. Send them the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you how important the Holy Ghost is in your life. Jesus said, as great as it is for me, to be God in the flesh, walking and talking with you, there's something better for you. I've got to go because I've got to send back the Holy Spirit so He can, He's been with you, but He's gonna be in you. And He's gonna be your personal teacher, your personal guide, your personal comforter, your personal helper. Thank God. <laughs> Ooh. I talked to you this morning, and I know that there, I know that we cannot always depend on our emotions. I said that this morning, I believe that, I live that way, but I'm going to tell you, I also know what this blessed book tells me. This blessed book says that I can know I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God communes with my spirit and lets me know. I am a child of God. It's sad. There are people that believe this book that live in absolute torment because they've gone to church, they've read the Bible, they've prayed, they've called out to God, they've asked Him to forgive Him, they have a heart for God, and you ask Him, you say, well, are you saved? And they say, well, I hope so. Y'all probably know where I'm going. I've preached to you so many times. You know I've got to bring up that old, uh, that old song, don't you? There are some people that say you cannot tell whether you are saved or whether all is well. They say you can only hope and trust that it is so, but I was there when it happened, <laughs> so I guess I ought to know. Yes, I know when Jesus saved me, the very moment he forgave me, he took away my heavy burdens and he gave me peace within. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real and I'm going to shout it. I was there when it happened and I guess I ought to know because the Spirit of God communes with my spirit that I am the child of God. Not only does his ascension show us his going to his reward in heaven and his giving of the Holy Spirit it also preshadows his glory. The Bible says he told them, Don't leave, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. He'd spent forty days, the scripture says, talking to them about the kingdom of God. Reckon what would happen. If we ever got out of church work and got into kingdom work. Talking to him about the kingdom of God. And he said, here's the power for you to do kingdom work. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to you. So wait, go, but wait. Wait till I can go with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Bible says. And while he spoke these things to them, standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, while he spoke these things to him, a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, reckon what was going through their minds. I don't I have a problem when I read the scripture that I kind of superimpose Brett onto the characters that I'm reading about. And maybe I do them a disservice by doing that. But I know what would have been going through my mind. I would have been thinking, well, there it goes again. We thought he was going to bring the kingdom. We thought he was going to run out of the Romans. We, we thought that he was going to bring the kingdom to earth. And boy, he, he sure got us when he died on the cross. Boy, that was, that was a neat trick there. But when we saw him on the third day, we saw him on that first day of the week, when we saw him appear in our midst, we said, now, now he's going to do it. If death can't hold him, the Romans are no match for it. Can you imagine a warrior king that cannot die? And then he's standing there and he lifts off. He's received into heaven as a cloud surrounds him. And I think they're kind of lost again. It's, it's, it's wonder, it's bewilderment. It's uncertainty. What are we going to do now? There he goes. And two angels stood by him and said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus. I, I cannot, and I know I've, I've shared this thought with you before, I cannot tell you how those three words have impacted my level of expectation about the return of the Lord this same Jesus When I I read of the Jesus of Revelation Who has feet like brass and eyes like fire and hair white like wool and a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth Boy That'll make you do like John did You know, John was his cousin, his best friend. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet like a dead man. But when I read that the one is coming is this same Jesus. The one that took the little children up in his lap and blessed them. The one that said to the woman taken in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. The one that when he could have with his words, healed the leper but chose to reach out and touch him. The good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. This same Jesus is coming back in like manner, in the same way that you see him go. Well, I guess it's just the night for the happy Goodmans. Now, i have to tell you, and I don't want you to read anything into this because I don't believe that the Holy Spirit quit inspiring people to write songs 30 years ago or 40 years ago. So I love praise and worship and courses and all of that. I love all of that. So don't read into it anything. But I'm just talking, I can't help it, I was raised in the era I was raised in. And I know that my kids have a different spiritual soundtrack than I have. I get that. But when I need some pep in my step, I'll go to YouTube and I'll cast up the Happy Goodman family singing. What, what stirs my pot is when I hear God walks the dark hills. Oh, come now, angel band. What a day that'll be. And so I guess tonight's a night for the happy Goodmans. But I remember that they used to sing this song what a beautiful day for the Lord to come again I was about what mama four or five years old maybe four or five years old riding in the car with mama one day no I did was not in a car seat I was not in a seat belt I think I was riding outside on the hood Way well, we did it in those days, but I'm riding along there, four four years old, and it was a clear day with a few clouds in the sky, and I was just looking, just looking around, and Mama said, "Britt, I know this because she told the story to me. I don't have that good a memory. I don't remember what I had for lunch." She said, "Britt, what in the world are you doing?" I said, "Mama, I was just thinking." What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. Then when I got up, a teenager, they came out. They, they had changed their lineup a little bit. Harold, uh, Harold and Vestal, uh, Howard and Vestal kind of had some health issues. And, and Rusty had his daughter singing with him, Tanya singing with him. They came out with a new song. I walk, woke up one morning, walked out the doorway, stopped to look up to the sky thinking that this may be the exact day when Jesus will sound forth the cry. This could be the cloud he's coming back on. We need to live with the expectation. Listen, he he left from the top of the Mount of Olives. Here's what Jude said. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Zechariah 14, 4. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley, and half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Jesus said, or the angel said, he's going to come back. He's going to come back just like he lived. I believe he's going to plant his foot on the Mount of olives. It's going to split in two. And he'll walk across that Kidron Valley. And if you go there several hundred years ago, there was a, a Muslim ruler that, that bricked up the, that entryway, that eastern gate into the temple mount. He bricked it up. And they buried, they buried, uh, uh, started a Muslim cemetery in front of it because they didn't believe a Jewish rabbi would go through a Muslim cemetery. I'm going to tell you, that brick wall's not going to stop him. He's going to march right into the temple mount and set himself up as not only the king of the Jews, but the king of the world. And this same Jesus that you see going away, in like manner is coming again. That's what his ascension means. It's a foreshadow of his glory. High upon the mountain from where he ascended, the angel of the Lord said that it would be. He said, Don't stand here grieving, because the one that you see leaving in like manner is coming back for you and me. I believe he's coming back, like he said. I believe one day the trumpet's gonna sound so loud. That one day it'll wake up the dead. In the twinkling of an eye, he'll split the eastern sky. And I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe the time is nearing when we'll soon see his appearing. And this could be the hour. This could be the day when the saints of every nation are going to lose their gravitation. And in the middle of the air be called away. I believe he's coming back, like he said, don't you? If you believe that, stand and give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Come on, let's give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, Aaron, where'd he go? Well, I thought the rapture took place, and I thought Aaron was the only one that was going. Amen. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord, and as you do, just come from all over the